welcome. This is Stop Shooting Yourself, a weekly podcast all about life's expectations, how they rule our lives, and keep us from the true happiness we crave. I'm your host, Jill Anderson, an expectations exterminator, speaker, and coach who loves talking should. Now let's get to the episode and start busting through the BS that's keeping you from living the life you deserve. Hey friends, welcome back. This is the first real episode of Stop Shooting Yourself. I'm Jill Anderson, your host, and I couldn't be more thrilled that you are here. If you caught the first five-minute first date episode, you'll remember me saying that the first couple of episodes were going to be a bit on the heavier side, maybe a little bit less humor and wit than I like. And the reason for that is I'm a very big picture person. I feel that in order for everything to make sense, you got to have the backstory. You really have to understand how it came to be. And it came to life via my life. And as I sit here, I'm not going to lie, the butterflies are going a little crazy inside and it's a little intimidating. It's a little bit scary because this is my story, but it's the only way that this show can begin its life. And if I expect and hope that guests will want to come on this show and share their story, the only place to start is with my own. Any of you who know me personally know that I wear my heart on my sleeve. I share a lot, sometimes more than what's comfortable for most people. Uh, This, my friends, is an entirely different kind of sleeve what I'm sharing today. It's more like a dress. It's like the process of trying on the bridesmaid dress for your sister's wedding after you've maybe put on a couple of pounds instead of wanting to lose a couple of pounds. And you're in the dressing room at the alterations shop when you slip it over your head or you step into it and you're having to shimmy a little bit bit more than you thought you would. I just, okay, I have to start saying this in first person (laughs) because it was me. It was me. I was starting to sweat because I was freaking out that this dress wasn't fitting. I'm holding my breath, trying to suck it in while one of my sisters was trying to pull the zipper as close together as possible, while the tailor was trying to pull on that dainty little zipper pull thing. And I'm just standing there turning blue, trying to hold my breath. They got the zipper up. We all collapsed and passed out from the whole ordeal. Okay, the ending might have been a little bit dramatic, but that's kind of what it felt like. So that's what sharing my story kind of feels like. A little bit less of the heart on my sleeve and a little bit more of trying to manage the panic of shoehorning into a bridesmaid dress. We're just going to keep going with it. Naturally, a pleaser, a helper, sensitive and emotional, I came into this world equipped with a basic ability to shit all over myself. I was born a rule follower who thrives on expectations. I avoid rocking boats at all costs, and I pretty much want to puke even today when I think about challenging authority. I navigated the Candyland game board that was my childhood by doing exactly what was expected of me. 
as a high-performing, nervous Nellie, it became very obvious to me that my innate talents of pleasing and helping were actually my antidote to anxiety. Now, mind you, anxiety was not a buzzword. It was not a thing in the 80s and 90s. I just thought I had a really bad stomach, but it was actually the kind of the result of my anxiety. It was a symptom of my anxiety. Um, And I did not frolic into the promised land of medication until my mid-20s. And let me tell you, I'm the, if you're happy and you know it, thank your meds. I'm that lady because they've done wonders for me. As I was saying, what I had literally just figured out within the last few days is that I thought my pleasing and helping were my personality and just ways of doing good and being good. And then they were also ways of neutralizing the turmoil of fear that ran through me on the daily. They were the tools I used to design and build my pile of shoulds into a structure as spectacular as the great Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Sparkly, tall, grand, awe-inducing, awe-inspiring, and amazing. As I grew and changed, so did my Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Being good translated into doing what others think is best, and my other desires of needing affection and wanting to be chosen like so many of us feel, it morphed or showed up in my life as, OMG, a boy likes me? That is great. Because according to my mash rap life game that I just finished on the volleyball bus, if I'm going to live in a mansion and drive a sports car and have three kids, I'd better find my lucky Mr. Right now. Sound familiar, anybody? Imagine my frustration when Mr. Right now turned into a, I would say, 10 plus year long saga of laser focused husband seeking and desisting, seeking them out, and then they would break up with me or I would break up with them. Turn right around, seeking and desisting. Cycle went on for a very, very long time. That process was just a lot of tree trimming My Rockefeller Christmas tree, it was not the pretty kind, like the drink eggnog and decorate with ornaments kind of tree trimming. This was like the chainsaw kind. Painful, harsh, and you can't really see how it's going to make things look any better in the end. So I was 17 when my first real boyfriend blindsided me. He broke my heart and destroyed my delicate seedling-like sense of being. I was absolutely devastated, and this... Reality led me into my first bout of depression. We grew up in a small town. It was my senior year of high school. I saw him every single day. He was probably in about every single class I had. Um, We had about 30-ish, 35 people in our graduating class. So it's not like I could just avoid him and move on. I was sad because I was so close. We were going to get married and we were going to have kids and, 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 and. Does anybody know the uh, recording equivalent of the eye roll emoji? Well, imagine it because that's where it goes. So I already knew at 16, 17 that the key to the lock of my life's happiness was in finding the one. And that one I'm talking about was not me. After high school, I went to college like I was supposed to do. And of course, it was about getting my education, building a career. But this was also prime hunting ground for husbands. 
I dated quite a few handsome farm boys, I admit, but I was a little too focused on the end game, if you know what I mean. No, it was not the same end game that they had in mind. I was a bloodhound on a mission because once I found him, the one, and got my degree, all of the other things in the right order, mind you, could fall into place, just like a Price is Right Plinko chip. At which point I could exhale and relax because life could begin. We would get engaged, we'd get married, we'd have the house, the 2.5 kids, we'd do all the activities, the parent things, do the adorable Christmas cards, and just enjoy our life of eternal bliss. It would all line up and come true just as I thought it should. And at age 27, you guys, I did it. I found him. We looked amazing on paper. We were both May babies. We were one year and four days apart. I mean, if that's not fate, I don't know what is. I guess except if you have the same birthday, but close enough, right? We both had ambition. We came from great families. We really liked each other's friends. We liked each other's families. We were both Catholic. We had similar values and we loved sports. And for those of you who are from Iowa and understand the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry. He is a hockey fan. I am an Iowa State fan. And I loved him more than my alma mater. And I abandoned my allegiance to Iowa State. And I bought all of the gear to just be a fake Hawkeye fan so that I could just fit in and be the great girlfriend. Who doesn't want that? So everything about us made sense. I was just amazed because I couldn't believe it. My Plinko chip had finally dropped in the slot. And it wasn't just like it dropped in the slot. It's like, I'm taking home the $100,000. I just won the showcase showdown. And I was hugging Bob Barker. You guys, Bob Barker. (sighs) I'd found him. We dated and we dated and we dated And you better believe I kept my foot on the gas pedal until his schedule aligned with mine. After three years, or for a lady in her late 20s, eternity, he proposed. And I said, duh. Just kidding, I didn't do that. (laughs) I said yes, and I cried like I knew I should. And then we started planning the big day. My real-life Rockefeller Center Christmas tree was starting to come to life. We had 434 days from our engagement to our wedding day. And you can picture it. It was traditional. It was rehearsal dinner, beautiful fancy dress, the wedding party, church ceremony, hotel reception, nice dinner, the most amazing cake in the world. You know who you are, who made it. I was the angel on top of my tree. It was perfect just like I knew it should be. About 340 days into our marriage and a few months um, of living in our first house, we were in the ultrasound room waiting to see the first picture of our first child. At age 31, my clock was ticking and it was a relief. I mean, honestly, a relief that we were pregnant. It doesn't happen that easily for everyone, but we were very thankful that it happened for us just like it was supposed to, right? Just like it should. So we were in the ultrasound room and the ultrasound tech was like, hey, you two hold tight. I'll be right back. I mean, I'm all stirruped up and my husband was white as a sheet after seeing that um, 
the ultrasound wand went in instead of out. And he was like, what? And then he was about six inches from the floor. So when she said that, trust me, we were not going anywhere. <laughs> so the doctor came in and said that we're going to the hospital to get our stuff, to call into work and say we weren't going to be there the rest of the day. And the reason for that was the pregnancy was ectopic. If this is something you're not familiar with, it means that the embryo got stuck in one of my fallopian tubes. So if we didn't do anything about it and it was allowed to keep growing, it would eventually rupture the tube and then resulting in internal bleeding and, of course, all of the dangerous stuff that comes along with that. So we went to the hospital and I was injected with a drug that stopped the embryo growth. So after a few hours, we were released. We drove through McDonald's on the way home. Um, and then that weekend, we decided to go to his parents' house instead of mine because that's what he suggested. And I went along with it. And there's a lot of sadness and guilt for me about that decision. Um, but that's that's a suitcase to unpack another day. All of that was not what should have happened. And that wasn't the only thing that shouldn't have happened. It's, I felt like a dump truck showed up and just unloaded a huge haul of crap right on top of my perfectly sparkling tree. I just ended up with a load of feelings I didn't see coming. I was living the life I knew I should live, but there was so much that was absent. I didn't feel the maternal instinct that everyone tells you you should feel. I did not feel that instant instinctive need to protect the life inside of me because I it just didn't feel like it was there. Obviously, this was before the miscarriage. But when I found out I was pregnant, I just didn't, I didn't feel that. I didn't, I, I felt like I usually did. I felt normal. I didn't feel any heightened awareness. I didn't have really any physical symptoms. Um, and so I was just, I was confused. I was unexcited or not excited. I was feeling weird. I know I didn't feel right. And there was like a, a shred of being terrified all mixed into that. And it, and it freaked me out because I'm pretty sure all of what I was feeling was not on the, oh, you're totally going to feel happy and excited. It, they, those things aren't on that list. <laughs> but they sure as heck were in the pile of crap that just jacked up my tree. I'll tell you that for sure. Instead of really looking at what was going on and asking, you know, maybe asking where the pile came from or sorting through the crap to see what could be useful. I mean, I just grabbed my Rockefeller Christmas tree and just cleaned it up. Like, you would never have known the should pile that got dumped there had even happened. The lights were twinkling again, the ornaments, like they were shining like the day I put them up. Everything was back to normal the way it should be in life could go on. So life went on. In a few months, we got pregnant again, because duh, I mean, like my clock was ticking, and I miscarried again. This time I was on a work trip in North Carolina at a, at a chicken processing facility. I was running a machine demo making chicken nuggets, but that's where it happened. It was natural, and I was scared, and I felt really alone. I was 
I, I mean, like, what do you do? What do you do when that happens? When you're in a place and you don't have your support with you? The only thing that I could really think was this is not what should happen. The dump truck showed up again and crapped all over my tree. I was sad, but again, it was not in that maternal loss kind of way. And I'm embarrassed to say that because I truly believe that those were two little souls and that I really was a mother. But the worst part was that I was sad because I wasn't sad. I wasn't feeling what I should be feeling. Within weeks, my internal voice finally rolled down the window of the dump truck it was driving. It grabbed the bullhorn and yelled as loudly as it could. I tried plugging my ears, and that didn't work. I tried running, which also didn't work, but not because I'm not a runner. It was because the internal voice was driving a truck. I couldn't get away. My internal voice was just, she was tired of being ignored. She was tired of dropping all of these obvious hints and not getting acknowledged. At this point, I had no idea what to do. So I hopped into the passenger seat of the dump truck and just buckled up. I had no idea where we were going. What I knew was that there was just this deep, visceral sense of peace and just a resolve that wherever it was that we were going was where I needed to be. For the very first time, I didn't ask anyone before getting in the truck. I just got in and I went. I finally figured out that the deep sense of peace that I felt was my voice, that the yelling coming from the bullhorn was really coming from me, and that no other voices mattered when it came to knowing what was best for me. So I was the driver of the dump truck. I was driving a dump truck for a reason. There were some things that needed to be destroyed. The first thing I figuratively drove head on into was the mirror I'd been gazing into my whole life. You would think that the mirror itself is the casualty, But in all actuality, it was the reflection. It's what I'd made myself see, who I made myself to be. I was a superficial facade of a life that I thought I should be living. That's what was crushed. You know, as I'm thinking about the broken glass and the shards and the cracks that replaced that perfect reflection I had spent my entire life curating that gut-twisting, already-know-the-answer-to question pierced my consciousness just as easily as uh, one of those shards of mirror glass would have broken through my skin. And the question was, was that Rockefeller Center Christmas tree life making me happy? I did not need long to answer it. I already knew the answer, and it was absolutely not. It was not making me happy. That meticulously adorned, styled, sparkling Christmas tree belonged in someone else's house, in someone else's dream. This life that I had made, though a blessing and a dream for many, was not meant for me. Whew! 
to be continued. Sorry, I know, I hate those two, but we live in a world of binge watching, binge listening, so think of it as a favor. I'm reintroducing you to the thrill of suspense. I hope this will inspire you to come back for next week's episode. And I would also love it if you love what you've heard so far to please hit the subscribe button. Rate me as high as you think I deserve, which is five stars, by the way. And drop me a message if you're so inspired. I would love to hear from you. If you would like to find and follow me online, you can do so at www.heyjill.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Jill Hey Jill. After you've done all that, don't forget to stop shutting yourself. See you next week.